All right, we are on session four of Don't Do Life Alone, and this is the last session of this series because it all is leading up to the Group Link event this afternoon, which is really interesting because I'll be teaching this last session after Group Link is over to the evening service, so that's, a, that's an interesting one. Well, I actually kind of have some ideas about that, so... Um, <clears throat> Don't do life alone. The next slide uh, shares kind of why we're doing this series. Just if this is your first Sunday with us, we got to kind of bring you up to speed. So here's the series goal. It's to show you how a small group of people committed to helping one another take steps to follow Jesus as one of God's most potent prescriptions for a thriving life. A lot of us don't really buy into this notion that getting together in small groups is really one of God's most potent prescriptions for a thriving life. So we've been spending some time on it. Today's topic is gender specific. I just made that decision recently. I can't even really remember how recent. I thought, you know what? We're going to make it gender specific. But it really is a topic for everyone. But there's a reason why I want to make it gender specific. So today's title is Bro. You need a bro. Okay, because very literally all across the nation, um, guys are the ones that have a harder time getting a hold of this than gals. And I really don't have to look to statistics to figure that out because I'm a guy and I get it. It's like, bro, you need a bro. I kind of know that's true, but I don't feel it. I really don't. It's like small groups. I got enough people in my life. Why do I want a small group? And kind of those feelings kind of go with it. So today gets kind of um, pointed, guys, and it's purposeful. So I hope that I can bring it across to you in a way where if it's pointed to you, it's pointing you in the right direction rather than pointing you in a way where you go, I'm not coming back again. I don't like how he was talking exactly about what I'm feeling or whatever, but We all feel some of these things, and we all have this kind of internal resistance to the idea of getting together and doing life together and talking about life. It's like, whatever, you know, Mm." okay? I want to show you why today, from a guy's perspective, this is so important to our lives. So here's the focus for today. What we want to do... Oh, say, what we want, let me get this right. What we want is to do whatever we want whenever we want to. But what we need is people who know us well and help us want more than that. Ponder that a second. I mean, I mean, you don't have to raise your hand. I feel like that describes me pretty well. Sometimes there's this conflict between what I want and what really is better. And... What we want is to do whatever we want, whenever we want to, but what we need is people who know us well and help us want more than that, okay? Now, although we're saying this, I just kind of want to bring it together, so let's use this idea. If you kind of nod, I see few, like three of you are nodding your heads out there like, yeah, and the rest of you need some help, so... Um, <laughs> I said sometimes there's this conflict between what we want and what we really need. And that was the most understated statement I've ever said. Sometimes? I mean, you're going, yeah, yeah. I think it happens so often, we don't even know. 
that what we really want, and we want it the way we want it right now, and we want it now, is not what is best for us. And only the people who really know that what, that's what we want, only the people who really know what's going on inside of us, have any hope of helping us want what is different than what we really want. See what I'm saying? If you follow that, you're doing really good. All right, so let me just put it this way. Looking at this filter, um, we've had three sessions together. In the first session, the title was Don't Drift. And what we were talking about basically is when we get together and kind of give each other a chance to get to know each other and help each other do life together and help each other and encourage each other and pray for each other, actually become a friend to one another, and I want to help you to follow Jesus, and I want you to help me follow Jesus. Let's take steps after Jesus. Let's encourage each other. What steps are you taking this week? And we start talking about the real nitty-gritty of life. When we start doing that, it is the most potent prescription for not drifting into what we want, all we want, whenever we want. We drift in that direction, and that drift is from inside of us, and it's also a cultural drift that's pushing us along with the self-centered life, okay? So that was session one, don't drift. Now let's look at session two through this filter. Session two was the imaginary me. And in that imaginary me, we talked about how all of us have the habit of presenting ourselves the best way we can with everybody whenever possible. And so we, we don't want to talk about, you know, the deep, dark, heavy, dumb stuff that we wish that we didn't have, and it's not, and I wish I could clean it up, and really, I'm doing pretty good managing it, but I don't want to talk about it with you. I'm going to present to you the best me I can present. Well, if nobody knows the real me, then I'm always presenting the imaginary me, and the danger we discussed is that you begin to believe you are the imaginary me, and that other stuff is not really you. Right? And then the imaginary me wants what he wants whenever he wants it. And that's the real me. And so we're in trouble here. So we need people who know us well, know what's going on, help us want better than that. Then last week, Matt, Matt did a great job, didn't he? He, he brought to us the image. The, this is the, kind of the centralizing thing from my perspective. That's how I can remember. He brought to us the image of a bag of marbles and a cluster of grapes. A bag of marbles is not living. A cluster of grapes is living. A bag of marbles is a set of marbles that are individuals and individualistic, and they don't really connect with each other in life. They idealize independence, and really they live isolated lives, but they come together in this bag. So here we are, a bunch of marbles in the bag. Is that a picture of us? No. A picture of those who know Jesus Christ are sharing life together. They have a common source of life. They get the life from the vine. And so as a result, we're more like a cluster of grapes. If one grape is unhealthy, it's actually going to affect all of us. See? We're more like a cluster of grapes. Now, looking through that lens, we need people who know us well to bring health to the whole cluster and to connect with the life that we're mutually connecting with, and we're all connected to. And so through that perspective, we have those three that we've been through. Now today, bro, (laughs) we're getting to the nitty-gritty of what it feels like to be a man and be confronted with this stuff. It's like, I know I haven't signed up for Grouplink. I don't plan on signing up for Grouplink. I have enough people in my life. 
I'm already having trouble with the people I know. Now you want me to get to know others? Come on, really. I don't, I, I go to work, I come home, that's the last thing I want to connect with other people and certainly I don't want to start talking about the stuff that you're saying I should talk about. No, I'm not comfortable with that. And besides, I don't need it. Today's the day that you're going to hear you need it. Okay? Bro, you need a bro. So, I'll keep saying that. And maybe some of you will decide to walk across the hall last minute. Now, women, the best thing to do is to keep your elbows down to your sides and not, not listen for him, still listen for you, because this is for you too, even though I keep saying, bro, you need a bro. So, um, I say these things because I'm a guy, and relationships are not... Mm, I, I don't get a good grade there. I work at it there. It's like, oh yeah, let's go. Let's spend time and get to know more people. It's like, okay? So I get it, I know what that feels like, but if nobody knows you, and nobody knows what you really want and what you like and where you're drifting and when you're drifting, then that's the trouble. Bro, you need a bro, okay? So if you are ready to take notes, there are some notes for you. If you don't like taking notes, just listen. Memorize everything I say and we're good. All right, point number, <laughs> point number one is this. The alpha male's dream becomes a nightmare. We're gonna take a look at Israel's alpha male. We're going to take a look in the Old Testament today, and we're going to take a look at the guy that the whole nation thought was an amazing man. And he's still, to this day, an amazing man. But we're going to take a look at how his dream became a nightmare. Now, before we move on, let's talk about alpha male, because I have no idea what you're picturing. Are you picturing a warrior? Are you picturing a guy, if you had a chance to see because I'm not giving you a chance to see, uh, ripped abs. <laughs> alpha male, right? Is that what you picture, alpha male? Are, are you picturing a guy that uh, is, uh, see, some of you are picturing, what's the emotional IQ of this guy? <laughs> right? I, I don't know where you are picturing this alpha male, whether the emotional IQ is, you know, ripped, 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 or... Right? Because he's alpha male. Every one of us has a viewpoint in our head. Right? Or how about social level of uh, abilities to interact with people and kind of know where people are coming from, this alpha male? Okay? Whatever your views are, we're going to take a look at King David, who was phenomenal in his early life. And the whole nation was blessed. He arrives in the glory days of Israel. He becomes king. He is the alpha male in terms of the quintessential warrior. All his armies loved him because he was such a warrior and he was fearless and he would spend time with his armies and he would do the daring thing and he'd protect his men and man, he was beloved. But we're gonna take a look at how this alpha male's dream became his nightmare. Before we go there, we, as men, idealize our current model of whatever it is we think of an alpha male. We're trying to live it out. A lot of us idealize the entrepreneur. 
who has made it big. Money is pouring in. And with it, what it means is, hey, he's got more money than he knows what to do with. He can do whatever he wants whenever he wants it. Does that sound like the focus? Okay? And now that he's this entrepreneur who has made it, the problem is this dream that we idealize, that we can do whatever we want whenever we want to, the danger is, does anybody know us well enough to help us want more than that? And the higher you rise in the success model of the alpha male's psyche, the more dangerous it is because the very dream of I don't have to report to anybody. I can do whatever I want. I'm independent and I can isolated, make my own way because everybody below me is hired by me. Nobody can talk about what I'm doing wrong. I own the company. I own you. Well, that's really bad when it's getting there, right? But there's this sense in which the alpha male dream even has a danger to it. And that dream can become a nightmare. We're going to be jumping into 2 Samuel chapter 11. I'm not putting this on the screen. We're going to read the whole chapter. So grab the Bible in front of you if you didn't bring a Bible. If you brought your Bible, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11. We're going to be reading, starting from page 214 in the chair Bibles, if you grab them. If you don't have a Bible that's easy to read and you like how this one reads, I want you to take it home, put your name on it, make it yours. Um, because we're going to learn, and I'm only starting the story of David, and you might want to take it further than this. This is capturing what took place in history about 1,000 B.C. It is the glory days of Israel, and David is king. I'm going to try to read the entire chapter without making any editorial comments. I succeeded in first service. Let's see how I do here. And then I'm going to go back and make the comments, okay? If you didn't bring your Bible, you want one. Grab the chair Bible, okay? In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening... David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. So David sent this word to Joab. Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. David was told Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents and my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. 
how could I go to my house and eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to him, stay here one more day, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, Put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at the place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Joab sent David a full account of the battle. He instructed the messenger, when you have finished giving the king this account of the battle, the king's anger may flare up and he may ask you, why did you get so close to the city to fight? Didn't you know they would shoot arrows from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, son of Jerob-Besheth? Didn't a woman drop an upper millstone on him from a wall? So that he died in Thebes? Why did you get so close to the wall? If he asks you this, then say to him, Moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. The messenger set out. And when he arrived, he told David everything Joab had sent him to say. The messenger said to David, The men overpowered us and came out against us in the open, but we drove them back to the entrance of the city gate. Then the archers shot arrows at your servants from the wall, and some of the king's men died. Moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. David told the messenger, Say this to Joab. Don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as another. Press the attack against the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage Joab. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. Now, before I continue, a story like this is just one more very powerful evidence that the Bible is not made up. This is Israel's hero and is still Israel's hero to this day in their history. If the Bible is made up, you do not include this in your history, in your sacred writings, but they do include it because this really happened. And although God restored and forgave David, there are many, many consequences that you will read about as you continue. Now, what I discovered in studying this, this go-around, and, and this came to me first time, maybe six months ago, I've read the Bible over and over and over again, read the story over and over and over again, and it never struck me to ask the question and to really think it through in terms of the details. And so I'm going to ask you this question because the answer I discovered surprised me very much. And here's the question. How old do you think David was 
at that time. I don't know what you're thinking, but I know that in my mind, I was thinking he's got to be late 20s, early 30s when this took place. But in my research, when you start to piece it all together, David was between the age of 55 and 57. What you need to know is that this event in his life took place when he already had multiple adult children. And when you read the consequences of what takes place with the rest of his life, it is no wonder that these adult children turn on him. His whole family is destroyed by this one event in his trying to hold life together as a king with a very blended family. And now nobody that was close to him before respects him as much as they respected him before and the life begins to crumble for the next 20 years and that's what you read about. Even though God still uses the label a man after my own heart because he turns it around. The point that I'm trying to have a see here is that this alpha male's dream of being able to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants to, because he's the king, becomes the nightmare that comes completely out of control as the alpha male king who has everything at his disposal to try to cover it up. He cannot. It goes completely out of control in his life. I want to show you some of the details. How is it? that his children know when he's busy doing every maneuver to cover up his own sin. So let's take a look at a couple of the verses again. In verse 3, you'll notice that David sent someone to find out about her. It was a servant, but the servant knows. Notice in verse 4, David sends a messenger to get her and bring her back. So another servant knows Notice in verse 5, the woman conceived and sent word to David, so that word comes to his palace, delivered to a servant to deliver to him. Somebody else knows she's pregnant. Then David sends word to Joab through another servant to send Uriah back home. The servants are talking because the servants know Uriah is the husband of this woman that has been brought to the king's chambers and the servants know what's going on. It gets worse. In verse 9, Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants. He slept with these servants and they all know he didn't go home. In fact, in verse 10, it's the servants who tell David, David, Uriah did not go home. Your whole scheme to cover it all up isn't working. She's pregnant. He didn't go home. The servants know. Then we look at verse 13. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. He thinks if he can just wear him down, his inhibition's down enough, he'll go this time. But Uriah is built of better stuff than David at this point. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. Wow. If you want to destroy your life quickly, continue to hold the ideal up that being totally independent and living my life isolated, and it doesn't matter if somebody 
anybody knows me or doesn't know me. I am who I am. Bro, you need a bro. If you don't have a bro who knows what's going on in your heart, oh man, you're about to destroy the rest of your life. That's what we're talking about. Do not hold up this ideal of independence. It's a myth. Nobody's independent. Do not hold up the ideal of independence. It's a trap. You will be trapped in it as you live your life doing whatever you want, whenever you want, because nobody really knows what and how and where and what's going on inside of you. It is a trap, this isolated place. You have to let somebody close to you oh yeah, like I'm going to go to a small group and spill my guts. No possible way, okay? Okay, that's a total misunderstanding of a small group. We're not asking you to join a group of strangers and spill your guts. Not at all. But if you go to group link and you sign up and you hang out with a bunch of people throughout this room this afternoon and you start interacting with people and hey, he's kind of cool. Uh, this couple seems like they kind of mesh with us. Let's kind of hang out with you and by the end you come out with a group to try a group for eight weeks and you kind of get to know them pretty well. Then you decide, let's get to know each other more. We're just talking about a process where you're giving yourself a chance to get to know somebody who gets to know you as it feels comfortable to you. Only as it feels comfortable to you. You just take it and let it grow and let it grow and let it grow to that level that maybe as you commit together to help each other focus on Christ and live for Christ, that you begin to increase the desires for the things you really need and decrease those desires for the things that you want when you want it and you know they're opposed to what you really need. That's what we're talking about. Here's the next statement I just want to key in on. If you want to walk straight into danger and disaster, choose the path of isolation and independence. I'm just telling you guys, we all want to be independent. We want to be alpha males. We want to be able to call our shots, do our thing, pull it off, do what we want to do. We kind of enjoy being isolated. We kind of, you know, I just spent work at work. I don't want to interact with people. I just want to watch a show. Let's just be isolated. Let's be independent together. Whatever. It's danger, danger, danger. Disaster is on its way. Point number two. Have you given anyone access to you? Nobody could say anything about David because he's the king. Everybody that would try to say anything about David, listen, he just killed Uriah. You gonna say anything? Who? No, not quite. He's busy trying to stomp this thing out, and he has the means. I'm not going to say anything. You're going to say anything? I'm not going to say anything. His children know. You're going to say anything? He killed Uriah. I don't know. I'm not going to say anything. You're going to say anything? When you rise up to the top, entrepreneur success, and everybody under you is hired by you, they get your paycheck, nobody's going to say anything, and you're going to do something really stupid. Have you given anyone access to know who you are? What makes you tick? Where are you weak? Where can somebody pray for you? That's what we're talking about. Now, there's foreshadowing going on in this section that we just breezed over. didn't say anything about. It starts in the very first verse. And I said I wasn't going to put it on the screen, but here we go. On the screen, here's the verse. In the spring... At the time when kings go off to war, you know, war season. <laughs> All right. 
You guys understand hunting season, you know football season, you know baseball season, okay. In Old Testament, you have war season. And in the spring, the kings go off to war. It's time for war. It's war season. And all the alpha males get together and <laughs> rattle their stuff, and here we go. It's war season. Let's go together. It's life. But what we are told is David went through something that we don't know, and nobody knows why. He did something so unlike David. And we read about it. David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. That isn't what David does. That isn't what kings do, but that's what David chose to do because he's now on the top, and who's going to say otherwise? Nobody can say anything. I'm the king, and I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And if you're not at the right place where you should be, ooh, now you're in really dangerous places. Okay, I'm about to step on your toes, so pull, your, pull them back, hide them. Bro, you need a bro. All across the nation right now, here's the national average. 60, I'm going by memory, so I can't give you the exact numbers, but it's like 69% attendance in churches is women. 31% attendance in churches of men. Look around you, we're doing a little better than that. Okay? Yay, yay for us. Okay? All across the nation, men who believe in Jesus Christ, who absolutely believe in him, are doing what they want to do whenever they want to do it, and on the average, these believers who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ attend church one out of six times compared to their wives and the women who are attending far more frequently, okay? David decided not to go where he was supposed to go as king. By the way, I don't know what your model of manhood is. My model of manhood is Jesus Christ. And if you don't have Jesus Christ as kind of your model of manhood, I would urge you to read the Gospels. There is not a more manly man who has more power and the ability to harness that power and live it well. And he established a kingdom and we are followers and we are at war. And for whatever reason, just like David, bro, you are a warrior. What are you doing? You're not going to war. You're not coming to church. You're not doing battle. You're not entering into the praise and worship is how we do war together here. And you're not coming to war when you come to groups. You're not equipping yourself to follow after Jesus. You know that the statistical average is far worse when it comes to midweek? 80% of those people involved in small groups across the nation are women. Only 20% across the nation of people who sign up and get involved in group life and doing life together and trying to encourage each other to follow Jesus are men. Why? I get it. We don't even understand how that plays into it. But I'm trying to show you, if you don't give anybody access to you, you are going to lose a battle that you aren't going to want to pay the price for. It'll be your family. It'll be your marriage. It'll be the relationships that you're trying to influence the most. You're going to lose the war because you won't go to battle. And that's where we've been living. 
a lot of you guys signed up for group link already. But just as is typical, we have almost double women signed up for group link than men. And women already outpace us in our small group structure hugely. Guys, we are opting for the national norm of walking in life isolated and independent and passive about spiritual war, and I don't know how to win the war if I can't call you warriors out. Let's be warriors. Bro, we need each other. Point number three. If nobody has access to you, eventually you will do just like I do. You will do something stupid. That's why I'm very intentional about meeting together every week with a few intentional relationships that I have developed over the course of 27 years to share. Here's where I struggle. How are you doing? Pray for me. Here's what's going on with life. Are you doing okay? Yes, do life together. It takes a little bit of effort to decide to become a warrior. Guys, this is the time. Group Link is today. If you decide to let this one go, yes, there'll be other opportunities. We'll have Group Link again in August. And we'll have men's groups available to you this week. Group Link is different. Because now you have the opportunity to get to know people and it's just you. Now, if it gels in the next eight weeks, you'll have a chance to let it go longer and it's just going to be you doing life together, learning how to pray for each other and walk with Jesus together and let that relationship grow deeper and deeper. So I hope I've challenged you. I hope you kept your toes in. I hope your heart has been opened. I hope that Jesus prompts you to say, you know what? I want to be a warrior. I want to be a warrior. I want to be equipped. I want to learn. I want to commit. I want to make myself stronger. I want to be about faith and not just an isolated, independent life. I don't want disaster for my family. I don't want disaster for my marriage. I want to be the protection and the warrior that holds it all together, that at the end of my life, I finish well. I want to avoid the mistake of David. I want to finish across that cross, that finish line with people cheering me on and me cheering them on and take as many with me as I can. Let's win this war. Father God, I'm a man, I get it. It's hard for me to talk about me. It's hard for me to admit that I need you as much as I do. I have been burnt by relationships in the past. And so it's easy to want to avoid them and not share. Lord, I pray that you'd allow brothers to get to know each other and over time to build a brotherhood of warriors willing to live life together Pray for one another. Honor you. Protect our marriages. Protect our kids and our grandkids. May you set off the epicenter of a movement this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen.